I'd ask you to find Colossians chapter number one. I feel like we have a long ways to go and a short time to get there. So let me, let me jump just right in. There's these problems that they were facing in this city at that time. And you, you almost can easily imagine how this letter from Paul winds up being written to this group of believers in this Roman city. We know that they had an elder there named Epaphras, and we know that this elder has gone to see Paul. We know that much, but we don't know the conversation between them, but you could almost guess it. Paul, brother, I've come seeking your wisdom, your prayers, your counsel. I've come asking you to give us a word from an apostle. Here are the situations we are facing. There are those in our midst who are casting aspersions on the deity of Christ. There are those who are saying that Jesus didn't really come. Uh, uh, I mean, God himself didn't, didn't come in the flesh, but that the, the God visited that flesh. And the Colossian heresy is actually well known in history. And you can tell that Paul is addressing it in this letter. You notice that last week we hit his opening prayer, and one of the last thing he prays is, I pray that you all would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all, uh, pleasing, uh, let everything you do be pleasing in his sight. And then he launches into this amazing uh, theological diatribe, one of the greatest, most succinct statements about Christ you'll find anywhere in any literature, biblical or extra-biblical, anywhere. And what he's doing is he's flat out saying, do not misunderstand Jesus. Do not misrepresent Jesus. Do not miss Jesus. And these, these, this heresy came to be known as the Gnostics. And they believed you needed special knowledge. And they exalted themselves as people who could hear from God individually. And they had something that you had to get from them. And we still see the same thing today. We see it all over the place. People who feel like they got a word from God that nobody else has got, and uh, if they've got that word from God and they're the source of the special word from God, you've got to come to them. And, you know, it's not that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus, or it's okay if you have one, it's just not enough. And so Paul was addressing that. But it wasn't just that alone. It was that God had commissioned the apostles to found the church, and that what Paul was doing was taking the sacred trust that the Spirit had given to that area, and he was strengthening it. But it wasn't that alone. What Paul was doing in writing this letter is simply what all the Scriptures does. All of the Scriptures, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, or as some people say tongue-in-cheek from the table of contents to the maps, all of this book is about Jesus. And when anybody is thinking something doesn't have to do with Jesus, the Apostle Paul is saying, whoa, back up. Everything has to do with Jesus. I'll never forget some years ago, I had frustrated a coworker. You know, I was working this, this uh, maintenance job, and when machines broke down, they'd call over the radio. And believe it or not, we had these grown men tricycles. Can you all picture me on a tricycle? It's a true story. And you'd have a basket on the front, you might haul parts in. On the back, you have tools. And can you imagine you having a problem and me rolling up on a tricycle to fix it? You can't make this stuff up, right? 
And, uh, and uh, I literally broke, uh, would, would respond to calls so fast that I broke two, two wheels in my time there, going around curves. Two, and I, I wasn't even this big then. I, but I'm getting it, man. You know, I'm <laughs> scratch, 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 crack. Well, this one lady, you know, just keeps having problems. And, uh, and uh, every time I'd go to somebody's machine, I'd, I'd talk to them about the Lord, you know. They didn't have any machine that was so technical that it took all my brain waves to work on it. So I had some brain waves left to talk about Jesus. And one night, she became super exasperated with me. And she says, does everything have to do with Jesus? I said, oh, yes, ma'am. And she says, does this broken down machine have to do with Jesus? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, how? I says, well, he created me and sent me here to get you back to work. <laughs> and it was like everything broke loose. And she started laughing. And she says, well, I never thought about it like that. And from that moment on, we started having these congenial, awesome conversations about the Lord. And all of her questions was, tell me what this has to do with Jesus. And it really sharpened me. She'd come in with something she saw on the news, usually bad news. What does this have to do with Jesus? And I found myself going to Romans 8 and Colossians 1 a lot and trying to explain to her what it has to do with Jesus. Tonight's passage is so expansive, so full. No joke, no joke. I've written 40 pages of notes on this. I outlined 18 sermons. So what I'm going to do is rather than try to unpack all of it, I'm going to give you guys a taste. I'm going to challenge you guys to treasure this passage this week. I heard one person say recently that the, that the Puritan writers would take a, a single verse and try to wring it completely dry of everything that was in it. I'm going to challenge you guys to take this passage and wring it, journal it, discuss it, get every drop out of it, because I... If I took the time to do this, by the time I was done, y'all would all be, it, be somewhere else. And it's worthy of that sort of attention. Because it exalts Jesus, it speaks against heretics, and it reminds us that everything does have to do with the Lord. Our main idea tonight is that Paul teaches us that the purpose and pleasure of our God is that all fullness of grace and glory dwell in the Lord Jesus. All fullness of grace and glory. And that that Jesus is mediating between God and man, and that Jesus is the source of us getting access to the fullness of God too. When I was a boy, um, I have a family that loves to watch game shows. Uh, I mean, just loves to. My mom watches the game show channel all day, every day. No joke. And she loves to watch the game shows from the 60s and 70s in rerun. And they had a show called, uh, I, well, I don't know what the show was called, but you had to pick these doors. I forgot what the show was called. I think, I don't know, people dressed on weird costumes. It was a crazy show. And they'd always say, show me what's behind door number two. Well, well it's like everything that is of any consequential uh, uh, importance, what, whatever door you look behind, Jesus is going to be the answer. And Colossians 1 reminds us of that. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Oh, wait. I want to show you something cool before we do. Look at this picture. Does anybody know where this picture's from? Anybody know? Narnia. Anybody know which one? Of all the Narnia stuff, this is my favorite scene. From Yes, Andrew. If we had cookies, you would win. Caspian, Prince Caspian. Do you remember the scene? Lucy, you remember? 
Actually, this isn't a dream at first. Oh, I like that. I like how funny it was to correct Peter right there because he wasn't even mad. Went, oh, yeah. Yeah, she has this dream, and they, they really want it. She wants to, she's longing to see Aslan, just longing to see him. And you know it's a metaphor. It's not even all that disguise. It's about people who are longing to see the Lord. And um, when she sees him, she says, and this is my paraphrase for speed's sake, but she says, oh, Aslan, you've gotten bigger. He says, oh, no, you have. And as, as you get bigger, I'll get bigger to you. And, it, and it's, a, it's a metaphor, a brilliant metaphor from C.S. Lewis about Christian growth. The bigger you grow, the bigger Jesus gets to you. And you sort of think, like, the more you grow, the more you get him. In other words, you get him figured out, you find out where the corners are. It's actually just the opposite. The more you grow, the bigger he gets. And that's really important because tonight I think some people are going to see Jesus in a bigger way, not because of me, but because God's given us this scripture. Colossians chapter number 1, beginning at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, do visit us as we open your word, and help us, God, draw near to your throne. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, with that long introduction, I only have two things Two, two ideas that I, I want to share some things in, inside of these ideas and just let the Holy Spirit drag you guys into some deeper waters. I want to share some ideas around the person of Christ, the person of Christ. I think this is really important. If you just look at this scripture, I, I loved, I, I went and listened to John Piper's sermon on this passage he has a couple of them but in one of them he made a list of 14 things just from these few verses 14 attributes of Christ and and uh, he easily knowing John Piper he could have wrung the juice out of every idea every idea was grand and glorious you can look at verses 15 through 19 and you can spend the rest of your week saying I want to treasure the Lord Jesus show me more and you will not run out of water to drink right here it will just flow to you It'll just, flow. just go back and look at some of this stuff. He's the image of the invisible God. Think about that. In other words, he literally, in the incarnation, in the incarnation, we get to see God. Some years ago, there was this really ridiculous song. Um, what if God were one of us? 
And the song theologically is horrible, but the question is really powerful. What if God were one of us, a stranger on the bus? She says, in the, in the, in the, and then it goes off the rails not long after that. <laughs> theologically and actually, just, you know, even the quality of the song. But isn't that a great question? What if God were one of us, a stranger on the bus? All right? There's a book some years Many years after that song, a book called The Shack. In The Shack, I'm going to tell y'all, some, somebody in here is thinking, oh, I love that book. Don't say it out loud. I'm going to save you because it's theologically garbage. But it raises some really neat, thought-provoking ideas. What would it look like to engage with God if God had to deal with the same stuff we dealt with? What if God got on the bus with us today? What would that be like? How would God behave on the bus? Doesn't Jesus answer all those questions? What would, what would God himself do if he had to grow up in his parents' home? What would God himself do if he had to deal with critics and criticism? What would God himself do if people tried to entrap him with silly questions? What would God himself do if he had to answer the questions about the most pressing and troubling issues of the day? And then we read the Gospels, and we see the wisdom, the power, the love. We see what God would do. He's the image of the invisible God. He shows us God. Moses begged, God, show me your glory. Anybody remember what God told Moses? I quote, bro, you can't handle that. That's not what it says, but he says you can't take it, right? <laughs> Couldn't handle seeing the glory of God. You couldn't. So what does God do? God says, I'll voluntarily let go of my glory, and I'll come and show you myself wrapped in the same restrictions you are, wrapped in the flesh. And what we get is the supremacy of God in all things. We get to see God. Look at what verse 16 says, for by him all things were created. So verse 15 says he's the firstborn of creation. Does that mean he's born with creation? No, that means he's head over it. Firstborn, in this case, it's a, it's a funny word. I would love to give a Greek lesson here because it's, kind of, it's kind of fun. But let me just cut to the chase and tell you it means that he is before creation, above creation, in charge of creation. And then it tells us it, it's not only that he's at the head of it, it's that all things were created by him. So you can really see that creation is for and through and by Jesus. Or say it the other way, it's by and through and for Jesus. Now, <clears throat> anybody, I'm going to give you an illustration here, anybody that thinks it's okay just to rape in the environment without thought, she really should read Colossians 1. Now, creation is given to us as a gift, but whose is it? Who made it? Who was it made for? In other words, it was never meant to be mistreated. Any part of, of the environment, any part of creation, it was meant to be shared in fellowship with God. Isn't that an interesting thought? Now, back all the way up to the Garden of Eden. You ever thought about the Garden of Eden in this way? God makes all of creation, stars, moon, night, day, water, dry land, Bacon. Amen. 
and he sets man down in the middle of it. And the way the, the, way the, the early account says it is, is he would walk with man in the cool of the day. You see that? Get this image. Here's man getting to hang out with creation and God. I saw a video on Facebook today that cracked me up. Uh, the, this girl was playing her guitar, and she, she lulled a cow to sleep. The cow is sitting there. She starts playing the guitar. The cow leans his head back, and she kisses this dairy cow in the head about five times. And then the cow just lays his head down, and she just keeps singing to him. And I was like, I, I want a pet cow. <laughs> I also want hamburger. Right? And, and somebody would say, that's, that's sort of weird or, or crazy. Is it crazy? Is it, wasn't it normal before the fall for... Adam to just hang out with the animals in peace? Cows are domesticated. One day, the lion and the lamb will lay down together again. Creation was meant to be enjoyed with God. It was a gift. It's his for himself. We're his for himself. And he wants all things that are for himself to dwell together in beautiful accord. Get that image. See it for how it was meant to be. He's supreme in his relationship to the Father. He's supreme in his relationship to creation. He's supreme in his relationship to man. He's the one who gets to decide the pecking order of these things. Under the Father, over the creation, in creation, man over beast, man over the garden. And then this cosmic crime happens. Sin ruins it, and man doesn't even get to rightly enjoy the gift anymore. And now there's this strange war going on with this thing that was made by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, and this other thing that was made by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. They're at odds with each other, and it's at odds with him. And so suddenly, suddenly, we don't understand his supremacy and when we don't understand his supremacy, we don't enjoy his supremacy. We don't understand that this is gift, that all of this is gift. What do we do? We start fighting over gift. We start mistreating gift. Why? Because everything's unsettled. Everything is unsettled. So it's no wonder. It's no wonder that when heretics came to Colossae, they were doing the work of the enemy because people had gotten uh, recreation working. They'd, they'd received the gospel. They had believed on the Lord Jesus. The Holy Ghost had come to work in their life. They're going, uh-oh, they're going to get back. They're going to get back to being at peace with God. They're going to get back at being productive in creation. Oh, we've got to disrupt this. Let's start telling them that uh, they, they need something besides Jesus because if they ever figure out that this is all by him and through him and for him and that they're by him and through him and for him, and if they ever find peace with God and peace with each other and peace with creation, there's no telling what they'll do. It's the opposite Tower of Babel. There's no telling what good they will do. So these heretics come in. Paul prays, he writes this letter, and in this letter he prays, and then he says, hey, listen, if you've got Jesus, you're not missing a thing. He shows you God. He's preeminent over creation. Everything's about him. As a matter of fact, in 12 verses, he uses the word all things, uh, uh, no, nine verses, he uses the word, the phrase all things eight times. 
All things, all things, all things, all things. It just keeps going over and over again. Through him and for him and by him. And verse 17 says, and all things are, or he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Not only did he make it, but he's sustaining it. You know, this week, um, I'm not a big muffin guy. You know, I don't like muffins. Um, I don't really know why, but I, I, this, this week I bought five muffins to share with some friends. And they only ate three of the muffins. And they were $1.49 each. And I set them on my desk, and the price tag just kept looking at me. $1.49. I don't like muffins. $1.49. I don't like muffins. $1.49. I'm going to eat that muffin. I started eating that muffin. And I went and I was studying this passage, and I thought, man, man, this, 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 this muffin is sitting really heavy in my stomach. I don't know that I can, I don't know that I like eating a muffin like this. And I read this passage and I went, wow, what is it like to hold all things together? I can't even hold a muffin together. I'm dying over a buck 49 plus tax. Think about that. He made everything. He sustains everything. It's all about Jesus. And then I think about how little I can actually control and of what I can control, I can't even handle the things I can control. But he's holding all things by the word, all things together by the word of his power. This is that Jesus. And not only that, not only is he the head of creation, but verse 18 tells us he's the head of recreation. He made creation, sin blew it. He's making recreation, a new man for a new earth, a new heavens. He started with nothing and gave Gave good, good became corrupted, so now he's starting with corruption and giving good, and good will become perfect. There's so much here. And verse 19 brings it all together. It says, in him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God's leaving nothing out, nothing. It's all about Jesus. In Jesus, we see the fullness of might. He, look at his earthly ministry. He, he, he manifested his power through miracles. Always, my, my favorite miracle story of Jesus is one that doesn't get told a lot. It's when they cast out to catch the fish. And I love how the guys were sort of complaining. Peter, the, apostle, the future apostle Peter goes, well, we've been fishing all night, but at your word, at your word, we'll do this again. And pretty soon, the, the, they, they got to call in extra boats for the haul. And my favorite part of the story is just how Peter responds. He just falls down. He goes, whoa, I, I mean, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Because he had seen the power of God. He had seen what all night long a professional fisherman can do versus what the power of God could do. He's full of wisdom. He makes claims, he refutes foolishness, he answers questions, he unveils the mind of God and the fullness of love. I don't know, brothers and sisters, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think this statement. I, don't, I know I didn't come up with it. I heard some preacher say it, probably on the radio at some point, but it says, if you ever wonder how God felt about sin, look at the cross, he crucified his son. If you ever wonder how God felt about a sinner, look at the cross, he crucified his son. 
where you can hate one thing and love another thing equally with equal fierceness in one spot. Which leads me to share just a few ideas, just a few ideas around the purpose of Christ. And I'll move quickly toward a close here. But look at those verses 20 through 23. Through him to reconcile to himself, how many things, y'all? All things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. If you were to come to my office sometime at My Life Matters, you'll see I have a, have a ton of books in there. And one set that I've grown to treasure is a set of books I bought, a set of commentaries by a California preacher named John MacArthur. Some of you guys have probably heard of him. And I was studying that commentary, and I was really blessed by, you know, John Piper has, I mean, excuse me, uh, John MacArthur has like 87 sermons on this passage. And so don't be impressed by my 18. He's got, I mean, whew, he loves this passage. And I read all of them. I read everything on the internet. I read in the commentaries. But he gets this one part, and he says, I, he says, I want to help you understand and appreciate your salvation. So he, t- he chooses five words to describe salvation. And anything that's going to sound smart, I'm going to say in the next few minutes, just, say, just think it came from John MacArthur. He said this. There's these five words you should, grip, you should grasp hold to. Justification, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, and sonship. Justification means you are made right in God's sight. You're declared righteous. It's not that you've done something right. It's that you declared right. It's sort of like saying, you still owe, but I'm not counting it against you. You're still dirty, but I'm going to declare you clean in my sight. The second term is redemption. Redemption is when a sinner stands before God as a slave to their sin, shackled to Satan, and God in Christ Jesus pays the ransom and sets the sinner free. You're redeemed. You're bought out of it. The third, the third word that describes our salvation is forgiveness. In forgiveness, we're dealing with the debt that sin causes. And what does Jesus do but pays the debt? What I like about God is your debt is paid and then forgotten. Back in the 90s, I started a business, and uh, I alluded to said business last week. You guys remember? I was telling you about my business card with all the pager numbers on the back. Anybody remember that? True story. Well, I, uh, it worked to a degree. I never did get all those pagers, but I did take on a couple of big jobs. Well, I took on one big job that was, that was bigger than my britches could handle, and the company did what companies do. Um, I was not uh, incorporated. I was not an LLC, and they were, and uh, they used me to fix some things in their facility so they could sell it and go bankrupt and not pay me my bill. Their bankruptcy, the bill, the bill that, that they owe me was a drop in their bankruptcy bucket, but it was more than everything I owned put together. So I had my truck and my machine and Hawk, and, and this, this happened uh, right when I was starting to date care, and so I went from super cool to super poor, like pretty quick, and I wound up in bankruptcy court, federal court building over in Danville, and um, I got that kind of bankruptcy where it says you have to pay it back, okay? What was cool was creditors got off my back immediately. 
That's, that was pretty awesome for me, right? Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I did not have a mobile phone in those days. I don't know, hardly anybody did. But, you know, did, did have a, a landline, and I just cut that thing off. They had worried me so much, just cut it off. And um, it, it was very hard, right? The debt was not even forgiven. I just had to pay it back over time, and I did. Praise God, right? But do you know what? I couldn't do anything for seven years. I, I had to rent a house from a friend because I, I couldn't pass a credit check. I couldn't get a car. So my debt, was, my debt wasn't forgiven, nor was it emotionally forgiven. It was neither factually nor emotionally forgiven. And I laid under the, I mean, I paid the debt off before I, I was supposed to, but the penalties went on for years. It wasn't until about the time that Katie was born that this even started to get straightened out. The reason Karen and I bought it, we, we want to do like everybody else. We got married and wanted to buy a house too big for us. You know, the reason we bought our tiny house is because we had to do it on her credit alone. I was shot. You know? And so when you talk about debt to me, I've gone through some very painful situations where I saw debt relieved but not forgiven. And because it wasn't forgiven, the relief wasn't full. When Jesus pays it all, he pays it all. And God says, not only are you free from the debt, I choose to forget you ever had it. That was why it's so precious to me. And then reconciliation is when the sinner stands before God and he's no longer an enemy and he's now a friend. That's what reconciliation's all about. And then sonship means you're adopted. You're not just a friend, you're brought in his family. Now, <clears throat> I said all that to say this. Christ is the head of creation. Christ is the head of recreation. And God says, let me tell you what that's all about. He's going to fix everything. And I love that the Holy Spirit gave us that word reconcile in verse 20. You know why? Because that's one of those aspects of salvation that I really love. It, you know, you're in a state of enmity. You're enemies. You hate each other. You're angry. And when Christ reconciles a person to himself, God says, we're cool, and we're not just cool neutral. We're cool friends. Come and know me. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You're not just here to accomplish my purposes. You're here to enjoy my fellowship. And I love that. And guess what? He's going to reconcile everything. Got out of high school, went right into basic training. Some years later, I was, I was out of my service in the Army. Uh, the company I was working for says, listen, if you'll take these classes, we'll pay for them. I go to PCC, take a placement test. They said, wow, you scored high in math. You only need one math class for this thing you're doing. You should take this math. And, and, and my pride was all on me, and it was calculus. And I said, like, I'm going to take college calculus because I qualify. <laughs> the highest score I made the entire semester was a 58. Had an 18-year-old Chinese girl who could not understand for the life of her why I did not understand this math. She was tutoring me. No joke. And when I showed her my final report, she cried. <laughs> she, says, she says, I passed for me, but I did not pass for you. <laughs> so she said. And, and I started laughing. 
And I said, you'll never believe what I was studying in the Bible this morning. She says, what, is, what does this guy do anything? Cool thing was this girl was attending a Presbyterian church. She had moved here from China. She's very curious about the Lord. And I was, I, she tutored me in math, and God brought us together. I answered her questions. But I took her to this passage. She says, I was reading this passage today. And I says, and I don't know how he's going to do it. But before everything is said and done, God is going to fix this math grade. And she says, what do you mean he's going to fix this math grade? I says, well, the Bible says he's reconciling all things to himself. So that tells me at some point he's going to fix his math grade. And she says, I think we will not need math in heaven. I said, fixed. <laughs> Amen? See, we're still wrecking stuff. And God says, I created everything and it's for me. I'm recreating everything and it's for me. And everything that's out of, out of, out of whack between what was wrecked and what, what being made right, everything in between that gets more out of whack, I'm going to fix that before it's all said and done. And all things will work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. How do I know that? Because it's all by him and through him and for him, and he is absolutely not going to let up until everything is not only not an enemy of God, but it is a friend of God. Wow. He's going to fix it all in Christ. So what will remain out of whack will be only those things that reject Christ. And that won't be out of whack toward God. It'll be just out of whack toward itself. So I said all that, and I didn't even barely touch the passage because there's so much here. If you happen to be a guest with us tonight, if you look in your bulletin, I hope you grab one. Tonight we added a little tear-off tab, and there's some, there's some questions there with arrows. It's a great way to study a passage, seven questions to ask any passage. And I just urge you guys, tear that off, put it as a bookmark right in this passage. This week, do some journaling, answer those questions. But for tonight's purposes, to me it's, 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 it's this simple and it's this encouraging. Believer, believer, what is troubling you today? Okay? Just, just answer that question within your heart. What's bothering you? What's hurting you? What's confusing you? Uh, you know, is there, is there anything in your life where you find yourself in a quandary? You find yourself hurting? Okay? Is some sin bothering you? Christ is your righteousness. Is, you know, are you lacking some need? Are you, I mean, are you naked? Thank God no one is, right? But are you naked in righteousness? Well, he'll clothe you. Are you hungry? Christ is your bread. Are you thirsty? Christ is your water. Are you dirty? Christ is your cleansing. Are you blind? Christ is the light. Are you weary? Christ is your rest. Do you... Oh, the Lord, are you living in debt? Christ is your ransom. Do you feel helpless, weak, confused? Christ is your strength. Are you guilty? Do you stand before God as a guilty sinner? Christ is your pardon. Are you a prisoner to Satan or the weakness of your flesh? Christ is liberty. Are you condemned? Christ is your deliverance. Are you empty? Christ is your fullness. No matter what our question is, Christ is our answer. And it pleases God to put his fullness in Christ 
so that everything can be solved through Christ. Believer, what are you facing? Christ is your all in all. What temptation is dragging you down these days that Christ minister to you? And what that's going to mean is you're going to have to give up. You're going to have to surrender. And maybe, maybe you, you never known salvation was this rich. You just thought salvation was the loss of the opportunity to do what you want and the, and the beginning of uh, letting God be the boss. Well, the cool thing is Christ is already the boss, all right? Uh, and, and, you know, right now he's winking at some things, but he won't wink at them forever. One day he's going to set everything right, everything. And what he's doing right now is he's being patient with mankind. That's exactly what he's doing. Patient, why? Because he's drawing men and women and boys and girls to himself for their good and his glory. Maybe you've never known that Christ wants to forgive your debt. He wants to reconcile you. He wants to adopt you. Salvation is so rich. It's not just avoiding hell. Chiefly, it's gaining heaven. It's gaining Christ. And that's what he wants for you. And the Bible says if we believe on that name and receive him, we'll be adopted as his children. And whether you're watching online or you're sitting in this room, have you ever received Christ as Savior? His salvation is rich, and that's his purpose. In his person, he's the head over everything. He's superior and supreme in all matters. His purpose is to reconcile us to God. Do you know him today? The glorious thing about gathering as the church is that none of us are saying we've got it all together. As a matter of fact, it's the open confession of the opposite. We need Jesus bad. It's not saying that we've got all of our hobbies and habits in common. As a matter of fact, it's saying we're really different and we're just sharing Jesus. God wants to add you to his family and he wants to add you to a family of people that you can walk with him. So believer... What are you facing? You need Jesus. And if you've yet to believe, maybe God concocted this whole week, this whole month, all of your life to get you to this point where you hear him saying, the purpose I sent my son was for you. So I could make you right with me. I don't want you to be my enemy. I want you to be my friend. I don't want you to be an orphan. I want you to be my son, my daughter. Would you come to Jesus? The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the power of your flesh. Saved from the grasp of Satan. You'll be reconciled. Now let me close with this silly little illustration. When I went to bankruptcy court, you know what stopped happening? Creditors stopped calling. I still owed. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if anybody in this room, probably I'm the only one, has ever been in that position where people are calling saying, you owe us money. Probably just me, right? It's so nerve-wracking. But guess what? I still owed. But do you know by law they couldn't call me anymore? You know why? Because the judge had issued an official decree that I was in bankruptcy protection. In other words, I was still guilty of the debt, but they could not harass me about it. See, the funny thing about getting saved is 
you'll still be you'll still be basically the same person as God just says, I declare you forgiven, and when the enemy harasses them, you just remind them of what the judge of your life has said over you. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you debt-free. You're still debt-free. I'm going to make you. I declare you debt-free, and then I'll make you debt-free. Salvation's powerful. Believer, are you enjoying yours? Friend, have you come into yours? Let's pray. Father, you want to set men and women and boys and girls free. You want us to trust that Jesus is the solution for sin, the solution to defeat Satan, the solution to be at peace with you, the solution for our shame, the solution for our guilt. Jesus is the answer for the purpose of our life. On and on and on, Father, it's no wonder any heretic of Satan would want to keep us from Jesus. He's the answer. So I pray in your sovereignty, Father, that you speak to hearts in this place. Lord, where your children have been caught in the malaise of the enemy, give them a focus and an excitement about Jesus. Call them close to yourself. And if there be any man, woman, boy, or girl who is yet to receive Christ and be at peace with you, then I pray, God, that you would grant them salvation in full. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.